The reading is taken from uh, St. Paul's second letter to the Corinthians in the 12th chapter, starting on the second verse. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things that man is not permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool, because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The Holy Gospel is written in the Gospel of St. Mark, Chapter 6, Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given to him, that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, Only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house, is a prophet without honor. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went round teaching from village to village. Calling the twelve to him, he sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra tunic. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. This is the Gospel of the Lord. May I speak in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Have you, um, have you ever changed your mind about something significantly? A silly question, perhaps, because it's probably all of us have changed our minds at some stage. But I would like to try and think of a, of a particular occasion when you've changed your mind. Perhaps your political affiliation. I had a, a spell of being very pro-Lib Dem. Uh, and like most of the country, I've changed my mind. Perhaps I'll change it back again in due course. I've changed my mind more topically about Andy Murray. Uh, I didn't warm to Andy Murray at first, but I think I was wrong. I've changed my mind about him. Perhaps you've changed your mind about the food that you like or dislike at some stage in your lives. Our children and grandchildren, like all children, say that they do not like certain food, even if they haven't tried it. I expect you've had children like that. So Josh, uh, for instance, says that he doesn't like mushrooms. And he carefully picks mushrooms out of every dish that he's given that has got mushrooms in them. And that is a bit odd, because I love mushrooms. And generally speaking, Josh likes what I like. Uh, I anticipate him changing his mind when he actually tries a mushroom. Now, I don't like macaroni cheese. It's the only thing that I publicly say that I don't like, because I'm more or less like, well, I do like pretty much all food, but uh, uh, I never have liked mac macaroni cheese, and I am quoted as saying that the reason I don't like macaroni cheese is because it feels like you're swallowing slugs, which is a bit hard on the macaroni cheese. But anyway, uh, when we were on my holiday in Russia the other day, we were given macaroni cheese at our picnic lunch. And that since I was very hungry, having been fishing for hours and hours, uh, and there was nothing else to eat, I ate the macaroni cheese. And, of course, it was delicious. <laughs> but don't tell, don't tell Sue, because I'm not quite yet ready to admit. I don't want to admit that I was wrong for all those years. <laughs> Changing your mind. Changing your mind is what the Bible means by repentance. That's what the word essentially means. And Jesus said that uh, Mark tells us that the disciples went out on Jesus' instructions and preached that people should repent, preached that people should change their minds. It is time, they said, for you to change your minds. Well, what about specifically? Certainly not mushrooms or macaroni cheese. The context of Mark 6, uh, our gospel reading, helps us. In the first five verses, uh, Jesus is in Nazareth, in his hometown. And the locals in, Na in Nazareth knew what they thought about their homeboy. Jesus was, of course, just one of the kids from the carpenter's shop. They knew all about him. He was the oldest. They knew his brothers and his sisters. Mary and Joseph obviously had had quite a large family, although most think that by this stage Joseph was dead and Jesus was running the business. So the locals didn't think of him as a prophet or the Messiah or a king, a son of man prophesied by Daniel, a son of God. No, no, of course not. They knew that this was Joseph's eldest lad running the business down the road. Who does he think he is teaching in our synagogue? So the good folk of Nazareth were not ready to change their minds about Jesus, not by a long chalk. They thought they knew best. 
So I think that's why Jesus conducts this little experiment of sending the disciples out, one that began then and in a sense has been going on for over 2,000 years. He called his followers together and he sent them out with a clear instructions uh, to try and change people's minds about him. Yesterday and on Saturday, particularly yesterday, many men and women were ordained into ministry in the Church of England, uh, both in our cathedral here in Oxford and throughout the country. Many from uh, Wycliffe Hall, our local theological college, were ordained in various places. Several people in our church are training for the ministry. David Bender Samuel, Richard Power were ordained yesterday, for instance. They have been sent out, sent out into ministry in order to help people change their mind about Jesus. And I suspect that the first disciples were probably as hopeless at it as we often are today. I expect even then there were dreadful scenes as some got too pushy, uh, too uh, enthusiastic in their evangelism, and I'm sure that other times the disciples were fearful and wet and missed opportunities. The great blinders of people's minds are sin, ignorance, and disease. These are the things that cause people to draw the wrong conclusions about Jesus. So what do we find the disciples doing? They went out and preached that people should repent, that people should change their minds. They drove out demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. They preached to confound ignorance. They confronted evil to spread God's love. And they healed to alleviate suffering. And as a result, no doubt some, perhaps many, repented. They changed their minds about Jesus and became fellow followers. I came across this uh, definition of repentance, which I found quite helpful. Repentance is the activity of reviewing one's actions and feeling contrition or regret for past wrongs. It generally involves a commitment to personal change and resolving to live a more responsible and humane life. Quite a helpful definition of a word that we use and sometimes don't really know what it means. It's the activity of reviewing one's actions and feeling contrition or regret for past wrongs, it generally involves a commitment to personal change and resolving to live a more responsible and humane life. And I think that we preachers are prone to two mistakes when it comes to repentance and sin. Some preachers never mention sin at all. They don't want people to think that they go on and on about sin, so they don't mention sin at all. We simply say how marvelous the love of Jesus is, and ask people to make a bit more room in their lives for him. Not in itself a bad thing, of course. But it's a mistake, and a mistake when we get a bit kind of wishy-washy on the gospel, a bit weak on the gospel. We begin to think everybody is basically pretty decent, because most people are relatively decent, especially around us here in this lovely place. They don't really need to change their minds fundamentally, just be a bit nicer, the world would be a better place. It's often the message of more theologically liberal churches, and actually it's one of the reasons why so few attend them. Because after all, if all that is required of us is that we be a bit nicer, 
We can do that without going to church. And surely sometimes the people who go to church are not as nice as the people who don't. So it can't just be about being a bit nicer. But the other mistake that we preachers sometimes make is that we bang on about sin the whole time. So determined are we that people should change their minds and move from self-reliance to God-reliance that we hold sin over their heads like a kind of never-moving thunderstorm about to pour out its wrath on everyone. Repentance becomes then a constant battle with guilt. But Jesus got it right, it seems to me. Change your minds. That is all we ask of our unbelieving friends. And personally, I don't think, I I searched my heart a little bit about this, and I think this is right. I don't think I've met anyone who had truly changed their mind about Jesus, seeing him for who he really is, Savior, Lord, Son of God, Messiah. I don't think I've ever met anyone who had reached that conclusion truly and generally, deeply in their lives, and was then content to live an unchanged life. When we make up our mind about Jesus, then it leads us to changing how we live. We might, of course, mess up. We might make mistakes. But once we've truly changed our minds about Jesus, surely we can never be happy sinning again. I don't say we won't sin. We all know that we will. But we can't be happy living lives that are deeply offensive to Jesus. Once we have recognized him for who he is. Knowing him for who he really is leads us to the change of life that the definition of repentance included. Leads us to long to be like him. Perhaps that uh, began to happen in the villages around Nazareth as the disciples preached, healed, and confronted evil wherever they found it. And let's hope and pray that it continues to happen here. Let's pray. We come here together as a group of people who, in a sense, are those who have changed their minds. Uh, Perhaps at some stage in our lives, we, uh, certainly speaking for myself, did not identify Jesus correctly for who he is. Uh, I had to change my mind. And uh, we thank you today, Lord, that this faith that you have given us is a gift from you. The very act of changing our minds is something that is revealed to us by your Spirit. It is, we are drawn to you. We thank you for that this morning. We pray that as a church, and as well as as individuals, we might so live our lives loving where there is evil, healing where there is disease, and bringing information, education, preaching, where there is ignorance, so that many whom we care for, who we love, in our families perhaps, amongst our friends, in our neighborhood, many might too have the opportunity to change their minds and see Jesus for the glorious truth that he is. And we pray in his name. Amen.